Okay, so this is for Tuesday of the Har, again in our leap year, which is uh, approximately seven in every 19 years, when we separate the Har and the Hukosai, otherwise in a regular year they're dread combined. So Tuesday is a very, very short portion, chapter 25, verse 19. The land will give its fruits and you will eat it to satisfaction and you will dwell securely upon it. So this is, of course, flowing from the previous verse of the end of Mondays, where we said you shall serve God and you're going to dwell securely. There it was dwelling securely from a perspective of uh, um, foreign nations, politically, in terms of protection from invaders. Here we're talking about something very different, but it sounds a very similar phrase. The land will give and you'll dwell securely. Rashi says it means the security here is that you don't have to worry that there's going to be a drought, meaning the previous verse was you're going to be secure from enemies, and this verse says you're going to be secure in the bounty of the land, and you'll eat to satisfaction. So that means even the food itself, this great, wonderful food, there's going to be an additional blessing that when you eat it, you're going to be satisfied. You can even eat a small amount and feel full. Because we already know the blessing of having the fruit, having enough food. So the question here isn't that, wait, there's enough food, you're satisfied. We already know we have enough food. So what does this eat to satisfaction? A very special blessing that the food brings satisfaction. Verse 20, if you will say, now we're going back to what we were discussing previously, the laws of the sabbatical year, which we've been discussing since the beginning of this Torah portion. If you will say, what will we eat in the seventh year? Behold, we will not sow, we will not gather our crops. So here we just spoke about, oh, God's going to give this great blessing, and your land's going to be so bountiful, and you're going to even have this blessing that inside your body there's going to be satisfaction from the food, and you're like, well, okay, that's great on a normal year. But this whole Torah portion so far as I'm thinking about this battle year, when I'm not working the land. So, so what, am I, what are we going to eat then? So Rashi says, what does it mean it's not going to gather? The previous phrase said, we're not going to sow, we're not going to plant. If you're going to plant, obviously there's nothing to gather. So he says, no, gather means gather into the house because he explains that we're talking about the crop. We mean wines, fruits of the trees, aftergrowth of the field, meaning things that are produced on their own. Obviously, and it's a tremendous test, the sabbatical year. But when you keep it religiously, you're not planting that year. So if you're, we're not going to sow, obviously we're not going to gather our crop. Why do we need to say that? Because there are certain things we're not going to plant, but they're going to grow on their own. The vines are going to produce grapes on their own annually. The trees are going to produce fruits annually. From the, the, the seeds that didn't sprout last year, things will sprout in the field. There will be some growth. But even then, I can't gather it, as Rashi explained, into the house. I can't treat it like it's mine and I'm the owner. No, it's like it's anyone's. It's Esker. It's ownerless. So I can pluck apples from my tree. And so can my neighbor. And <laughs> so can anyone else that wants to. So I can't gather it into my house that it's really mine and I can really, you know, rely on the crop. So it's going to be. So now we have this famous uh, verse that uh, probably many people heard this sabbatical year. I will ordain my blessings for you in the sixth year and it will yield a crop sufficient for the three years. Famous, beautiful blessing that you're right. You're not going to sow, you're not going to gather, you're not going to be the owner, you're leaving your fields ownerless, and don't worry. 
There's going to be such a blessing. It's going to be for three years. So what do we need these three years for? So Rashi says, well, that, it really doesn't mean three years of 12 months, but it's three parts of a year. The part of the six from Nisan to Rosh Hashanah, the whole seventh when you're not working. And then part of the eighth as well, because even though on the eighth you can plant, but I mean, start planting the first day of the eighth, you still don't have any food to eat. So from the eighth, Marjorie says, we'll take until Nisan, until the spring of Nisan, we can start harvesting. So therefore, we're going to need the end of the sixth year, the whole seventh year, and until spring of the eighth year from these normal crops of the sixth, meaning normally the crops of a year are going to feed you for half a year so to speak, if you want to think of it like that. You plant in, we'll say, Tishrei, in September, in the fall, you harvest in the spring. And that food sustains you until you next harvest. But now that food is not going to just sustain you the normal from spring Nisan until the next harvest. It's actually going to sustain you for another entire year, the whole seventh year, instead of part of it. And then halfway through the eighth year, until the produce of the eighth year, you reap. So that's why we're calling it three years, the portion of the sixth, like normal, the entire seventh, and halfway through the eighth. A tremendous, tremendous blessing. Tremendous challenge, keeping this sabbatical year, really completely trusting God and saying, okay, I'm not going to work for a year. It's going to be fine. And then look how God comes through. You will sow in the eighth year, but you will eat from the old crop until the ninth year, until the arrival of its crop, you will eat the old. So now this verse takes it a step further because the previous verse said it's going to be for three years. And Rashi explained that meant halfway through the eighth. Now we're saying you're not even going to, you're going to eat the entire eighth from that year. So what's going on? So the point is, yes, technically, the food of the sixth needed for normatively half the sixth and the entire seventh and half the eighth. But there's going to be such a blessing that even though you're going to plant in the eighth and harvest in the eighth and in Nisan of the eighth be able to eat from that produce, you won't eat it. There'll be so much food left in the sixth year that it's literally going to last you. You'll have food. You'll have new food. But you're still going to have your granaries full from the sixth year's produce. So you're literally only going to need to start eating the new harvest the beginning of the ninth year, meaning a complete year later. So it needs to last half the sixth, the entire seventh, and half the eighth. Practically speaking, it's going to last half the sixth, the entire seventh, and the entire eighth. Because you're only going to eat from the fruit of the eighth and the ninth year. You'll just have so much bounty. And, of course, sometimes we need an extra year. Because if it's Shemitah year 49, which runs right into 50-year jubilee, that's two years in a row where you don't work at all. Imagine two years you don't work at all. How did they survive? How did they eat? Nowadays, we'd say how they pay their mortgage. They didn't have that on their head, but how did they eat? So the food of the sixth, which was year 48 in the cycle, lasted halfway through the sixth, or let's say halfway through the 48th, like normal, the entire 49th, the entire seventh year, and the entire 50th year, because that was a jubilee year, two years in a row, not no working, which would be called the eighth year if you want to start the cycle over again the first year, and the entire next year, because that was that special year that we have so much blessings. We have a whole extra year of food. 
or at least half a year because it's going to take a half a year until any food will be, the new food will be ready to be eaten. So we have half of the sixth, the entire seventh, the entire eighth, the Jubilee year, and at least half of the ninth. So this food is lasting really for 36 months. We need it for three 12-month years. And that's what happened. The last, so now we're going on to related, but not talking about this blessing. The land shall not be sold in perpetuity, for the land is mine. For you are travelers and residents with me. I don't know if you're most like, yeah. So the land cannot be sold perpetually. Now, we already actually discussed this earlier in this Torah portion. In verse 10, in verse 13, we stated the positive commandment that in the Jubilee year, all the fields are returned to their original owners. So what are we doing here? We're adding a prohibition, meaning we have both the positive commandment and we have the negative injunction. So we already had, about 10 verses ago, the positive commandment that in the Jubilee year, we have to return the field, sorry, not yours. You have to give back to the original owner, and now we have a prohibition. So if a person does not do this properly, they're violating a positive, an assay, and a prohibition, a loss assay. And we say this very strongly because, of course, it was, I'm sure, a great temptation for somebody that lived and worked and owned this land for, let's say, 48 years to say, what? I was born on this land. I grew up on this land. I gave birth to my kids on this land. It's your land. It's my land. No, God says it's not your land. You have to give back to the original owner. And we use an interesting word here, litzmisus, perpetually, which Rashi explains actually is like the word suffering because it cannot be a perpetual sale that you sever the relationship with the original owners. Now, why are you doing this? You don't want to do this. God says, because the land is mine. Don't feel bad about it. Don't return it begrudgingly. It's not your land. It's not his land. It's my land. And the last verse, in the entire land of your ancestral heritage, you shall provide redemption for the land. So what are we saying here? So this verse really flows into the next verse, which is Wednesday's portion. In Wednesday's portion, we speak about if a person had to sell his ancestral land, how he or his relatives can redeem it for him. And that's considered a very important thing because there really is, of course, we're very removed from this concept, but there really is a very strong connection between the person and his ancestral portion. If a person sells his land for the first two years, as we learned yesterday, the buyers have it. You can't take it back too fast. That wouldn't be fair. But once they had it for two full 24 months, maybe like full 24 months, two full years, as we discussed yesterday, might even have been three crops. And if you remember, if it was a, a, a year of famine, blight, then it didn't count because they really had to get crops from it. But at that point, you are allowed to redeem it at any point. And if you can't redeem it, your relatives can pay to redeem it and give you back your land. So that's what we're going to discuss on Wednesday. So here, our last verse flowing into this idea is implying that the same way your relatives can help redeem your land, they also can help redeem houses or for a Jewish slave, they can help redeem him. Now, there's a lot of technical details here and there's varying opinions in the commentators are the relatives supposed to be redeeming houses in a walled city or in an unwalled town, as we'll discuss soon, the varying laws? We're talking about redeeming a Jew. Is it a Jew sold to a Jew or only the more extreme case of a Jew sold to a non-Jew? But 
in certain varying situations here, there is an injunction, not a commandment, not an obligation, but an injunction on the relatives to help out in this unfortunate situation and help your relative get back his home, get back his self, if he sold himself as a slave, and get back his, as we're going to discuss tomorrow, ancestral lands.